In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. From this passage of Scripture and the one that Cortez read for us, we can find that the church belongs to Christ. We also find from Ephesians that the church is the body of Christ and that Jesus is the head of the church. We've been discussing for the last couple of weeks the authority that we find in the New Testament for the church. It's called the Apostles' Doctrine. In Acts chapter 2, we find that they continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and in breaking bread and prayer and so forth. But the important point that I want us to understand is that there's a pattern. A pattern in the Lord's church, in the New Testament, that shows us what that church should be and how it should be organized. We have spent the last six weeks looking at the church. We've looked at prophecies. We've looked at the time period of when it came about. We've seen when it was established. Today I want us to look at the organization. How God had it set up. Because I believe that that is important. That apostles' doctrine is where we get our authority. It's found in the New Testament. Not outside, not in some creed or doctrine or manual or something else. It is found in the New Testament. And the apostles taught this doctrine in every church. For Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians the 4th chapter, verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So he didn't go from here to there and teach different things. He taught the same thing from here over to there and all the way in between. And so all the churches that were founded in the first century were established based upon the apostles' doctrines. Today we have numerous denominations that are out there. And they're out there because people want to try to improve on what God's Word says or just plain out change it. And that's very unfortunate because people want to go to heaven. And I'm afraid that many times they're being led astray. And it's through their own ignorance, sometimes through their own innocence, that they believe what they hear. And they don't search the Scriptures like they should, and that's unfortunate. And the same would be true for us. I want to encourage people to search the Scriptures. Look at the Bible and see if what you're hearing is the truth. Is it what God wants us to hear? I don't want to stand up here and just preach my opinion. I want people to know that this is what the Bible says. And so in the New Testament, we can find a pattern for the local church. And we can find an organization for the church. We can find how the worship or the churches conduct worship. We can also find the work that the church is expected to do. And in this lesson, we're going to look at the organization of the Lord's church in the local sense. And, how, uh, and we might ask, well, why look at this? Why look at the organization? Why be concerned of how the church was set up? Well, I think it's important because when God sets something up, He has a purpose in mind. When He created this universe, He had purpose in mind. 
When we look at the creation and we can see the animals in the physical kingdom, we can see that certain animals were designed for certain things. We can see how some animals are dependent upon animals, other animals to exist. We see how certain insects need other things to exist. And so there's a purpose. Then maybe that's why there's so many mice or so many rabbits, because there's so many animals that feast upon on those uh, creatures. But God had a purpose. And we know that He had a purpose for mankind. That when He placed us here on the earth, He gave us responsibilities that you and I are to live up to. And as we pointed out in our Bible class this morning, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we know that we were created unto good works. So we're supposed to be doing what God wants us to do. And therefore, the church needs to be organized in the way that the Lord had planned for it to be organized. And so we can see from the history of, of, of the church that some of the departures or some of the ways that people started to change the church as it was founded in the New Testament, they changed it by changing the organization. How God had it organized. And you can see uh, where certain, uh, in certain cases where elders were elevated and, and placed in a particular place and they became bishops or cardinals. And that's not what the New Testament uh, is talking about. So, when we look at the New Testament, we see that God gives us organization. That elders are to oversee the local congregation. A congregation once fully developed would have elders. Now I want to stop right there because I want us to understand that we're going to see qualifications here in a few minutes. And God expects us to live up to those qualifications. He wants elders put in place that live up to those qualifications. And until a congregation has individuals that meet those qualifications, then it wouldn't be feasible to have elders. Because they wouldn't be established based upon the criteria that God's Word gives us. Well, that New Testament or the Apostles' Doctrine gives us. And so, we can see that until elders were established, those churches still existed. But they did establish elders. There were people that lived up to those qualifications eventually. And so, it's not unscriptural to say you can't, you can't exist. It's not unscriptural to exist without elders. But a congregation should be striving for that. We should be working toward that. Men should be dedicating their lives to live in such a way that they meet the qualifications that we're going to see here in a few minutes. But in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says that when they had ordained elders in every church and in prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord, or commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So there we see that elders were established in every church. And then in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 it says, And for this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things which are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. So here we find that elders were in every congregation. They were in every city where a congregation was located. And so that's something that should be important and it should be a priority in our own lives, in our own congregation. And so we can see that elders were also called by different names in the New Testament. 
These elders were called bishops and pastors. And as you can see on the screen, different names meant different things. Elders obviously refers to older men. We can see a bishop was an overseer who was to oversee the congregation. And we can see verses like Acts chapter 20, verses 17, and verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. We can see also where elders were called pastors. You know, sometimes in the religious world they get that mixed up. And sometimes I'm referred to as pastor, pastor so and so. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a regular member of this congregation who has a responsibility of preaching the gospel. So I'm a preacher and an evangelist. We'll talk about that also as we progress through this lesson. But a pastor is someone that meets those qualifications, lives up to the responsibility that God has placed in that position in the church. And so they're called elders and bishops and pastors. Sometimes referred to as shepherds. Why? Because they're watching over the flock that is among them. And so there's different responsibilities that we have as members of the body of Christ. And they're not three. I want us to make sure that we understand those are not three distinct offices found in a local church. They all refer to the same position that one may hold in the church. And so... Understand that. I have people sometimes say, well, if you don't want to be called Pastor White, what do you want to be called? I said, well, just call me Leonard. That really messes people up because they just don't understand that concept. But sometimes we want to elevate people. And God has us all you know, in a place where He wants us to be. And so elders were appointed only after meeting stringent qualifications. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, This is truly saying, or this is a true saying, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not no, or no striker, not guilty of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he falleth into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Those are some qualifications, and those are some pretty stringent qualifications. I'm of the belief that every Christian should be striving for most of those things. You may not have a husband, and you don't have to have a husband, and you don't have to have a wife, and you don't have to have children to be a Christian, but all of those other things that are listed there, many of them are important qualities that all of us as Christians should be striving for. But how many of us are striving for those things? In Titus chapter 1, Verses 5-9. through nine. You find a lot of duplicates there from the ones that are given in 1 Timothy. 
But it says, beginning in verse 5, For this cause left I in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful words that he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. I want you to look at those passages of Scripture. We can back up and we can look at, at, at look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We can look at Titus chapter 1. And if you notice in both of those cases, that word must be. That must. They must have those qualities. It isn't something that you put the person into the position and then they grow into it. And I've heard that many times. Well, you know, they don't have those qualifications right now, but if we put them in that position, they'll get them. And you know what I found? In a lot of cases, they don't get them. In fact, uh, sometimes they compromise other things that they shouldn't. But an elder is to be an example. An elder is to be someone who is responsible. An elder is someone who is watching over the flock. And it's very important because sometimes we look at these things and we just pull out two things out of all those qualifications. It's always the only ones that we really want to discuss. The husband of one wife and faithful children. But I want you to know the Scripture says they must have both of those. And so people want to discuss, well, is it faithful to the Lord or is it faithful to their dad? Well, it's faithful to the Lord. It's faithful to the Lord is what He's talking about. And as a parent, we need to have that responsibility to be training our children. And if you have the desire, and notice that one of the qualifications is a desire. You've got to have that desire to be in that position because you're responsible for a lot of souls. And I've heard people say, well, I think that there's people that are qualified and we need to just push them into that position. If they don't have the desire, they're not going to want to do the work. It's just that simple. And I've been a Christian long enough to know that the work of an elder isn't always an easy job. It's a tough job. It's a lonely job. But it's a job that God wants us to have. And I'm not even an elder, but as a preacher, I know some of the things that people go through that you have to deal with. And why I say it's lonely is because sometimes people don't like the decisions that are made. But if they're the right decision, as a congregation, should the congregation should support that decision. That's important. And so yes, you must be the husband of one wife. And you must have faithful children. But you also must not be any of those other things. You must do all of those things. You know, imagine, well, you got everything else, but you're kind of a brawler. Would that be okay? Would you want an elder that would meet everything else but a he's a brawler? You're talking to him and you're having a discussion. Next thing you know, you're getting socked in the nose. Would you like that? No. That's why those qualifications are important. 
That's why all of them are important. Not just a few. I've had people say, well, when you stress all those uh, qualifications, you're kind of anti-elder. Well, no, I'm not anti-elder. I'm in full favor of what the Bible teaches, and that's what we should be striving for. And as men, we should be striving to meet those qualifications, especially those that are married and have faithful children. We should be striving for that. And as our children are growing up, we should be working and striving in the home to make that child faithful to the Lord, to help them become faithful. And why are those those qualifications so stringent? Because if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? These are people in your own family. You love them. You care for them. But if you can't control them, if you can't teach them what's right and have them follow that direction, how are you going to follow or guide a congregation of God's people? Every congregation with elders, there's always a plurality of elders. Two or more, never do we read of just one. There were elders in every church. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. The church at Jerusalem had elders. Acts chapter 15, 2, 4, 6, 22 through 23. And chapter 16, verse 4. Chapter 21 and verse 18. There was elders in the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 verse 17 and 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. And as we read, there was also elders in every city in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. So it's always a plurality of elders. No one person could be an elder by themselves. And again, I think that that's important because you don't want a dictatorship. You want a group of men. Two or more that are going to make that to make the decisions that involve the congregation. We find in uh, some of the verses, uh, like James chapter five and verse fourteen, that if one is sick and they needed a prayer or they wanted prayer, they were to call for the elders. Because it says in that verse, "If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord." In 1 Peter chapter five and verse five, it tells us there, "Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders." Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. One of the things I mentioned last Sunday evening when we were looking at authority, that sometimes people want to go with majority rules. Well, that's not what we find in the Bible. And a lot of times when there's decisions that need to be made about a program or even uh, something as serious as withdrawing fellowship from someone, an elder has a responsibility to make those decisions. And when they make that decision, we are to go with it. We are to submit to it. And you say, well, the majority of us think that that was a wrong decision. Well, if you can't show someone in the Bible, especially an elder, where where the Bible says what you're doing is wrong, then aren't we supposed to submit to their decision? They're in that position for a reason. They met the qualifications. And then I've seen in situations, and you know, I kind of hate just talking about these things, but sometimes in some situations, 
they get put in as elders and they didn't meet the qualifications, but that was fine until they made a decision that people didn't agree with. And then all of a sudden, they don't qualify to be elders anymore. Well, they didn't qualify to begin with. That's why it's important that they meet that those re, those requirements. We never read of just one elder or bishop over one church or group of churches. It was always more than one. The authority of the elder is to oversee, and that overseeing is limited. They were to take heed to the flock of God among which the Holy Spirit had made you overseers. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost made you overseers to feed the church of God which He had purchased with His own blood. They were to shepherd the flock of God which was among them. So uh, if let's say we had elders here. We wouldn't have, elders would not have authority from this congregation to to direct some other congregation. It was only the local church, their congregation that they were over. They were shepherds. Uh, they were to shepherd the flock of God which was among them. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, uh, not for filthy lucre, but for a ready of a ready mind. They're not to be constrained. They're not to be forced. They're not to be driven by some other uh, 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 money or whatever. They're to do this willingly. And because they're doing it willingly, we need to listen to what they say. As I said, as long as what they're saying is scriptural, then it's important to listen to what they're saying. They have a responsibility to feed the flock. And when they're, they, they, they may stand up and preach themselves, they may teach themselves. But as they're listening, they also are guarding the flock to make sure what is being taught is the truth. So does that mean that once you have an elder, the elders that uh, you no longer have to pay attention? You just leave it up to them to watch for you? Well, I would think not. We all have a responsibility to search the Scriptures to find out if what we're hearing is the truth. The elder feeds the flock and guards the flock and protects the flock. They're watching out for false teaching. But I do not believe that an elder has the authority to tell a preacher that he can or cannot preach on a particular subject. Now, you may not agree with that. But I'll give you my reason. I believe that they can request sermons Maybe they're privy to some information that someone needs to hear a lesson about that the preacher may not be, and they can say, could you develop a sermon concerning this, this issue or this, this matter? I believe they have the authority to do that. But I don't think that they have the authority to say, you can't preach on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We don't want to hear any sermons on that. You can't preach on something that we disagree with you about. Because uh, and we know you think what the Bible says, but you can't talk about that. I don't think an elder has that responsibility or that authority to say that. And why do I say that? Because a preacher is subject 
to the commands in the New Testament, the apostles' doctrine. And the Bible tells the preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So the preacher has a responsibility to preach the word of God. And why does he have that responsibility? Because guess what? The next few verses says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. What if the elders of Galatia had told Paul, you can't preach on uh, uh, bringing things from the Old Testament over into the New Law. What do you think Paul would have said? And we don't want you to preach that you can't be circumcised because we believe that that's what you're supposed to do to be a Christian. What do you think Paul would have done? I got a feeling you would have heard a sermon right then about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I believe that he would have had the same attitude that the, that the Apostle Peter had when he said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Because you see, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth and sometimes elders can fall into that category also. Let's face it, we like to hear things that make us feel good. Sin doesn't make us feel good. Not when it's exposed and not when it's shown to be what it is and what it causes. And so we are to preach the Word. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11... If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And Paul shunned not to declare all the counsel of God. And so there may be times people don't want to hear it. But the preacher has a responsibility to preach it anyways. So no elder or bishop or pastor or group of elders has any authority beyond what the apostles' doctrine gives them, and they have no authority beyond the local congregation. They can't change the doctrines of Christ. No elder could say, well, I know Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But we decided that all you got to do is accept Jesus into your heart. Elders don't have that authority to change the doctrine of Christ. In fact, we know in 2 John that if we don't abide in the doctrines of Christ, we have not God, we have not anything. We're lost. And Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 1, that though, we preach, or that though an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. There is no, no other gospel, no other truth. And Jesus said, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last days. We need to listen. Elders need to listen. Preachers need to listen. Members need to listen to the Word of God. Deacons. Deacons serve the elders and the congregation. They are servants, ministers, who assist the elders in the work of the church. Their qualifications are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8-13. through 
Likewise must a deacon be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacon be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that use the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. When we look at that position, we can see again qualifications for even a deacon. And sometimes people look at a deacon and say, well, there's a junior elder. Well, not necessarily. You can meet the qualifications for a deacon, but not meet the qualifications for an elder. You may not be able to, to, to do that work that an elder has. But as a deacon, you may be able to fulfill the work that you're given as a deacon. Because they're ministers, they're workers, they're servants. And while not identified as a deacon, we can see an example, I think, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, where the Grecian widows had been neglected and they were to choose men who had met certain qualifications to serve those tables, to take care of that situation in the congregation there that they were dealing with. And maybe that's an example of what a deacon should be, of the responsibilities that they should have, and that is serving and helping. That doesn't mean at a potluck they've got to dish out the food. No, that means that they need to see it. If there's a need in the congregation, they take care of that need. And if there's a work that the elder wants them to be over or take care of, then that's the responsibility that they have. And then there's members, commonly called saints. We see that see them called that in First Corinthians chapter one, and we see it in Philippians chapter one and verse one. They're also called disciples, Christians, and believers. Among each member, there are evangelists and teachers. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. In verse 12, it tells us for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. An evangelist is someone who takes the gospel to the lost. For many times I may be involved in sharing the Gospel with someone. I may go to their house. I may meet them somewhere. They may come here. They may come to my house. But that's an evangelist job. Now you notice that I'm not the only one that can do that. All of us can do that. We all can share the Gospel with someone. Teachers are instructed to edify the members. Note, many times we refer to them as preachers or ministers. As I stand up in here and preach, hopefully I'm edifying you, building you up, helping you to become stronger, more faithful as a Christian. Sometimes in that process, we have to say things that kind of tear us down to build us up. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it feels good. Whatever it is, we're building and edifying the congregation. We want it to be stronger. We want it to be a greater influence in the world that we live in. 
Someone may do both. They may be an evangelist and they may be a preacher or a teacher. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, we see there where it says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. How do we commit to faithful member or men? We teach. So, someone may be an evangelist, a teacher, a preacher, or a minister within a local church, but they still would they would still submit to the oversight of the elders, because the elders still would have the responsibility of guarding the flock. And so, the preacher, the evangelist, we're just part of the members. Our responsibility as a preacher is to preach the Word of God. And preach it whether people want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. There is no indication that a preacher was, a kin- or that was anything like an elder or a bishop or a pastor. They were the, t- the, <clears throat> the, the, preacher, the preacher and the evangelist, as the Scripture tells us, were to take heed to the doctrine. First Timothy chapter four verse sixteen it says, "Take heed unto thyself and also the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee." So, as a preacher, evangelist, teacher, we need to adhere to the doctrine. We need to stay in that doctrine. To stay in that doctrine, to heed that doctrine, you have to know the doctrine. You have to study it. You have to read it. You have to come to an understanding of what it's saying. But we're to make sure that the doctrine is what's presented. And the responsibility of an elder is to take heed to the flock. To watch over that flock, verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, it says, Take heed, there, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the, all the flock which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. An elder has to know the Scripture too. has to know the doctrine also. Why? Because he's a protector of the, of the flock, of the congregation. And we know that false teachers can come in who look very deceitful. They look like that they're angels of light, but they're not. And someone needs to be able to expose the error that they are teaching. And sometimes they can be very clever. And so we need to be on guard. And the elder has that responsibility to watch and to guard the flock. Not an easy job for any of us, preachers, elders, deacons, and even members. The devil is out there constantly trying to defeat us. He's trying to turn us away from the truth. He doesn't want us to adhere to the doctrines of the apostles' doctrine. He wants us to turn away from it. And when we turn away from it, disaster is going to happen because we're going to be lost. And that's why we need to abide in that doctrine of Christ. What was taught in the New Testament. We can look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. I think I got the right verse up there. Philippians 1 and verse 1. We find there the organization of the local church alluded to in Paul's address. 
when he addresses to the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishop, bishops and the and deacons. And so there we see saints, elders, or bishops, and deacons. Other than the members, what organized what organization existed in a local church was a two-tiered system, which was elders and deacons. The rest of us are members. And even the deacons and the elders are members. But Christ is the head of the church. And it's His directions that we need to heed from the elders on down. And we all need to be striving to put elders or have elders in this congregation. And men should be striving for those, those uh, qualifications. And look at yourself. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I doing each one of those? Because it's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking, well, all's well, they can overlook this one, or yeah, you know, that's just so and so. We need to make sure that what, they're, what, what we do is what the Bible wants us to do, what God wants us to do. Because the work of the church is to edify, serve the need, needy, and to be evangelized the world. That's our responsibility. So Christ is the head of the church. We're part of that body. And just like our head directs our body, Christ directs the body of Christ. We want to be in that church. We want to be in that body. Maybe today as a, you're, not, you're not a Christian. You're not a child of God. Maybe you haven't been baptized into the body of Christ. That's the only way we can get into that body is through baptism. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 tells us that. But before you can do that, you have to hear the Word of God. You have to believe that Word. You must believe that God is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that Gospel message that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried and He rose victorious over the grave on the third day. And we turn from our sin and repent of our sin and we confess the name of Christ. And then we can be buried with our Lord in baptism. That's water baptism. We go down into the water. We come up out of that water a new creature. That's what Jesus says we need to do. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not some miraculous measure. That's where exactly what they did on the day of Pentecost when they taught and people said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You're not saved before that. You're only saved when your sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. And you can do that today. But we need to be reminded that God expects us to live a faithful life. Not just obey the Gospel today and go on our way and be done with it. He expects us to be faithful. And that's all the days of our lives. And maybe you're not a Christian. You can become one today. Our Lord died so that you could have that privilege of being a child of His. If you are a Christian and you've gone back into the world, we want to encourage you to come back and make things right. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.